when he gives you those opportunities. And with the strength of his Holy Spirit, will you learn to overcome, not give up, not quit. But remember that in Christ, I can do all things through him who gives me that strength. All things, wherever he's placed you, wherever he's put you, whatever the circumstances he's called you to, he can give you the strength for that. I think I told you the story of one of my ancestors who was burnt at the stake. And before he was put into the fire, he put his finger into the flame and the cell and the candlelight, and he just couldn't handle the pain. And he was saying, Lord, how in the world can I face that tomorrow? And the Spirit of God was saying to him, I haven't given you the grace for a flicker of a candle, but I will give you grace for the stake. Be faithful, be obedient, be an overcomer. Because one day we'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we look forward to him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. The judgment seat of Christ. Then there is the judgment of Israel. Because God has a plan and a purpose for Israel. But at this time we looked at his Messiah work. Israel has rejected her Messiah. And so she has, she has experienced alienation from God and God's purposes. She's been set aside for a time uh, till there comes a place and God will do certain things to bring her back to one day they will actually call on the Messiah and he will return to rescue them from near annihilation under the coming world ruler called the beast in the scriptures because they did not recognize the time of God's coming to them when Christ came. They rejected the Messiah. And so the scripture talks about the fact that God will visit his people again. This visit will be pastoral. It will bring discipline. It will bring punishment. But finally, it will bring restoration. You can read about it in Isaiah 10 and Jeremiah chapter 8 and in Hosea 9 and in Micah 7. The days of punishment are coming. The day that God visits you. Because God's desire is to bring them to a point where they will repent, where they will turn. I remember a mate of mine saying, God had to put him on his back before he would look up. And discipline, as the scripture says, is not pleasant while it's happening, but the outcome of that is righteousness, is right relationship with God. It is good. It's like bringing up kids, isn't it? You know, you, you make boundaries, and when they step over their boundaries, you need to have consequences so that they learn that there are consequences to their actions and there's consequences to the actions of Israel of rejecting their Messiah and going against him but its purpose that discipline and that punishment is so that they will repent and they will turn and come back and recognize who he is and so you'll read about it in the Revelation chapter 12 and 13 there will come a great tribulation it's known as Jacob's trouble because it's related to Jacob, the nation of Israel. When the world ruler that will come, the beast and his religious leader who will do miracles, the false prophet, who will seem at the beginning to bring peace to the world and everybody will follow him, think that he is the Messiah. 
and he'll be okay with religion for a time. But then he will turn. And a little bit like in Daniel, he will turn and want everybody to worship him. All other religion must go. And so this huge antagonism will be focused on God's people, the nation of Israel, to a point where they'll nearly be annihilated. But this punishment, this discipline, will bring them to a point where this will be. They will mourn for the one they pierced. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David, talking about Israel, descendants of David, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. So this judgment of Israel will bring about near annihilation and some things that the Scripture says about it is horrific. But there will come a repentance and a change of heart and they will call out to Jesus, their Messiah, to rescue them and to save them. And so Paul alludes to this and says that all Israel will be saved. There will come a turning back to God. They've been put aside for a time. They've rejected the Messiah, and we are enjoying the blessings promised to Abraham of forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. They have rejected that. But there will come a time, through God's discipline of them, that they will come back and they will call out to their Messiah, and their Messiah will come and rescue them, and we will come with him at that parousia on that great day. And so all Israel will be saved. So I want this to remind us that God can be trusted to keep His promises. He will always remain faithful even though we are faithless, for He cannot deny Himself. And He has made promises to Israel that He will keep and Paul reminds us, don't get cocky as you Gentiles who've enjoyed the blessings given to Israel. They have been put aside for a time until, until, until that day when they mourn for the one that they have pierced. And they will enter back in and enjoy the blessings made promised to Abraham. The blessing of forgiveness of sins and the gift of God's Holy Spirit. So God can be trusted to keep his promises. So the challenge to us is to trust God's word. When God makes a promise, you can stake your life on it. And to obey God's word. And to remember, even in your life and my life, God, your heavenly Father, will discipline you in order to bring about repentance. In order to cause you to turn back to him. And sometimes we can be running away from God. And people are praying for you. And sometimes God will use some very difficult and sometimes seemingly disastrous circumstances to stop you in your tracks. Not because he hates you, not because he doesn't like you, but he can see where that's going. And he wants you to turn. 
and come back to him and to trust him. So sometimes difficulties and testing times are God's discipline. Not always, but sometimes. Sometimes it's to help grow our character and become an overcomer and to push through. So you need to pray and ask God, is this because I'm disobeying you and going the wrong way? Or is this to strengthen my character and help me to become an overcomer? Because God disciplines those he loves. As a father disciplines his children. If you really love your kids, you'll set boundaries. And when they put their foot over it, what you promised to do, keep. So be careful what you promised to do. <laughs> That's the key, isn't it? Careful that you don't make stupid statements. Like you're not going to watch TV for the next 10 years. Well, you're not going to keep that, are you? Make a promise that you can keep so that your children learn and then they can easily, because you're bringing, really, dads, you're, you're standing in the place of God and then as they come to about 12, you're wanting to hand them over to him so they learn to obey you. And if they don't learn to obey you and trust you and if they don't learn that you keep your word and you keep your promises, they will struggle to learn that Father in heaven keeps his promises for good and for discipline which is also for their good. So make lines, boundaries. Make consequences that you can keep and then keep them. And so train them up so that they will learn that God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. I think I've told the story. I learned this from my dad. We were in a car He'd made a commitment, probably overcommitted himself. Some of us have a habit of doing that, to go and speak at this church, to talk about mission and what he was doing. And really none of the family, probably not his, even his wife, wanted to be there. And I, I remember sitting in the back of the car and Dad made this statement that I've never forgotten. I will keep my promise even to my own hurt, as Proverbs, wherever it comes from, says. He didn't really want to go either, but he'd made a promise, and he kept it. And so I started to learn as a little kid, careful what you promise, because you should keep your word. Because we're reflecting a father who makes promises in his word that we can count on. He says, if you repent and believe, I will forgive your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. How can I know that? Well, God's made a promise. How do I know that I'm forgiven, I have eternal life? Do I have to have some special experience? No, I've just got to repent and believe. If I repent and believe, God will keep his promise. I remember praying as a young man. I wanted to speak in tongues. Surely people were saying that this is the sign of the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to be sure that I have the Holy Spirit. I need to speak in tongues. And so I was praying and praying and praying and praying. And then the Spirit of God says, you want to see, but the just shall live by faith. Will you trust my word? Will you believe? Have you repented and believed in my son, the Lord Jesus? Then my promise is you'll receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I stopped asking and started thanking him that he indwelt me. Not because I'd had some special experience, and God bless you if he gives you that gift, but he didn't give it to me given it to some friends 
He's given me other ones. Be thankful for what he's given you to serve him and his people. But what I'm focusing on is we've got to learn to take his word. And as parents, we're teaching our children, trust my word. God can be trusted. And then the judgment of the nations. When he comes on that great day, the battle is spoken of in Revelation chapter 19. And the godless armies are surrounding Jerusalem that the beast is called and are gathered around the armies of the world are there. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse, our Lord Jesus, and his army, his people. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark for the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sore that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. There's a horrific scene, uh, that final battle spoken of as Armageddon. And so God will... God will bring all the world's armies to surround Jerusalem. Christ descending with the church will stand on the Mount of Olives. The beast and the false prophet are taken and cast alive into the lake of fire, and the gathered armies are destroyed. In Zechariah, it says this again. In Joel, it refers to this. And in the Revelation, it gives the name that we know it by. And so the world armies under the leadership of the beast surround Jerusalem but to bring its final destruction. But God will intervene for his people, will call out to their Messiah and look on the one they have pierced. And so Christ descending with the church will stand on the Mount of Olives. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives and it will split in two. In Acts, Jesus says, or the angels say to the men as Jesus ascended, that he will come back to the same place from which he left. And so Christ will return. The beast and the false prophet are taken and cast alive into the lake of fire, and the gathered armies are destroyed. You can read about that in Revelation 19. And then there'll come the judgment of the living Gentiles, those who are left, which won't be that many under the carnage of the beast and the false prophet, but uh, Christ on his return sets up his throne of judgment. And you can read about that in Thessalonians and also in Acts 17. So Christ on his return sets up the throne of judgment. He will summon all the Gentiles still living. This will not be many as the beast has decimated world population. The godless armies have been destroyed. Christ will separate the sheep from the goats. And this is what is referred to in Matthew chapter 25. It's used for many other things and there's some principles there. But Christ will separate the sheep from the goats according to an individual's treatment of Christ's messengers during the reign of the beasts. So care of Christ's preachers indicate acceptance of the Messiah's message and of himself. The goats align with the beast or the tares are removed and the sheep, the wheat, are the saved group and enter into Christ's reign on the earth, which we'll look at another time. And then finally, the final judgment. At the end of the millennium, the reign of Christ on this earth, there comes the great white throne judgment Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, 
great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead were in them. And each person was judged according to what he has done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Is your name in the book of life? If your name is in the book of life, if you've received his gift of eternal life and your name is in his book of life, you will not stand at the great white throne judgment. And John tells us the same. Don't be amazed for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. So at the end of the millennium, all the ungodly who have died in human history, having gone to Hades, will now be resurrected and appear at the great white throne. So if people tell you, oh, once I'm dead, that's the end, that's the finish, I just sort of put it six feet under and I just go back to dirt. Sorry about this, but not so. There is coming a day when the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. It's spoken of as the first resurrection, a resurrection to life if you've received the gift of eternal life. But all will be resurrected. And there's a resurrection to death, eternal death, ultimately and eternally alone. The scripture talks about it as the lake of fire. It talks about it as a second death. It talks about it as outer darkness to try and help us to grasp just how horrific it is to be separated from the very source of life, God himself. uses multiple pictures to help us to sense it and feel it and grasp the reality of it. And it hasn't happened yet because God is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And if you have your Bibles, we'll finish by reading from 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And then after the great white throne judgment, Christ hands everything when everything has come under his authority. Human beings, death, Satan, death, everything has been dealt with. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all and in all. And at the end of that, we see the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. After the great white throne judgment, after sin and death, and the devil has been dealt with. Then comes new heavens and new earth. Before we look at 2 Peter chapter 3. I hope this will remind you that this is God's world and we are accountable to him. We are created beings, not the creator. And therefore we are accountable to our creator to live under his authority. And justice will ultimately be done. People say, how can there be a loving God with so much evil in this world? The problem is, it's not the evil in the world that I'm worried about, it's the evil in here. If God came in judgment, now would any of us survive? 
That's why Christ came, so that in Christ my evil can be forgiven. But evil will ultimately be removed. And if I side myself with evil, then I too will be removed and to be eternally alone, lost forever. That hasn't happened yet because God is incredibly merciful and patient. But God has set a boundary and has set a time, and only the Father knows when that time is. But judgment is coming. So don't presume on God's grace and God's mercy because judgment will come for him to be just. Those judgments have to come. If I'll put my faith in Christ, then my judgment becomes past. But if I reject his Messiah, the hope of the world, then I will have to take my own judgment and stand at that great white throne. And it will be very clear that God's judgment is just. And yes, evil and sin and death and pain and crying will be no more because they will be dealt with forever. They will be dealt with forever. So my challenge to you is, if you've never given your life to Jesus, then today's the day. Don't wait a minute longer. Talk to the person who invited you here and say, how do you get to know this Lord Jesus Christ? I want to have forgiveness of my sins. I want the judgment of God to pass because I deserve it. I want to put my faith in Jesus who died and rose again, and I want to receive the gift of eternal life, the gift of his Holy Spirit by faith. And then Peter sums it up with these words in 2 Peter, chapter 3, starting from verse 3. You got it on your phone or on your hard copy? It's not on the screen. But let me read to you as we close. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, and we talked about this at the beginning, the last days are from the time of the coming of the Messiah, the Jesus Christ coming, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. These are already, we are in the last days. We've been there since Jesus came, biblically speaking, not as it's contemporarily used. Above all, you must understand in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, this perusia, this arrival, this revealing of the living Son of God that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, his promise, the heavens came into being. And the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these same waters, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, talking about Noah. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. I know he said he's coming soon, but he's not limited to the rotation of the earth. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, this is the reason 
He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So no, we don't believe that God's chosen this one to go to hell and that one to go to heaven. God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why the parousia hasn't occurred. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You won't know when, so get ready, be ready. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, argue with other Christians what events and how it all happens and who, no, no, no. The outworking of our belief in the coming of Christ is this. What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming by telling as many people as you can so more people will repent and be saved. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this new heavens and a new earth, let's sit back, do nothing, and just wait. No. Since we're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of, lawless, of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But what you should do? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our challenge to us. Will you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we've looked at some difficult things this morning. We don't tend to want to talk about judgment and accountability. But Lord, we thank you that you're patient with us, that you want none of us to perish. You want us all to receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. So Lord, will you help us to repent and believe? And will you help us to live godly lives as we look forward to the great day? of your return. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I hand over to Kathy, I have gone a little bit over time. My apologies for that. Maybe barbecue could start at 12.30 or you know, as soon as we... So, so don't worry about that. Barbecue is still there. Don't feel you have to rush off. Thank you, Kathy. We're going to close our service with our final song. Um, before I do, something I forgot to mention before was that the baptism course will be running today, I believe. So um, those people who are involved in that, don't forget about that.
Um, we're going to stay seated as we start our final song and the offering buckets will come round. If you're just visiting or a new person here, please don't feel obligated to put anything in. You can pop the Connect card in as it comes past if you have it. Um, so yes, we'll stay seated to, stand, to start with and Josh will give us the cue for when to stand.